The reading this evening is taken from Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 to 11. And this can be found on page 1179 of the Church Bibles, or is on the screen. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is the word of the Lord. As I said earlier, thank you so much. Um, my wife, Emma, and I, we're so thankful for this church. Um, thank you for all you've done for us over the last nine years or so. We got married right here. Um, we have done so much of life in this church, and um, so much of life has been possible because um, I've been working for this church, and, and as I said this morning, we've been so thankful that most my entire income has been dependent on you and your gifts and your tithes. So we're so thankful for the way that you've supported us and loved us. Um, yeah, thank you very much. It's been such a privilege to serve on staff here and serve alongside you for the last seven years. Um, and it's even more of a privilege to join the long line of people who've been sent out from this church. Um, we... <laughs> Was that you, Ben? <laughs> Ben, uh, I'm going to study with Ben in, in uh, Bristol and Smithy. Where's Smithy? He's walked out. Never mind. Um, we, we've often struggled as a church to maybe understand our role as a resource church, but um, I see this as a way that we've massively been used over the time that I've been here. Um, across the country, our students, vicars, uh, young professionals, all people who've learned ministry in this church and been sent out. Um, so it's been a real privilege to learn that here and to be sent out by you. And as always, when someone is sent out, there is a challenge to those uh, who remain to look, actually, who else can we be raising up? Who else can we be championing and blessing and drawing out the God colors in their lives? Who else can we be supporting in this church? Um, and so I'm thankful. I'm deeply thankful. And before I turn to our passage tonight, we're going to look at Philippians 2. We're going to carry on looking at Philippians. I just I was praying about this um, the sermon and... I felt God kind of draw me to um, to speak a little bit about um, something that I, I spoke to some uh, people about in my vicar interviews. Or the um, that's not the official title for them. It's not it's not quite that vicar school interviews. But um, I I had to explain to them a lot about kind of ministry and my experience in ministry, and, and I talked a lot about this church and how much I loved it. Um, and I said this um, to them. I would love us to be encouraged and challenged by this. Um, what I love about Christchurch is we're a really diverse congregation. 
We're such a diverse congregation here. And that's a real advantage. That's something good. We need that. We need that to be part of our DNA. Um, we live in a world that's so obsessed with curating its own timelines and making sure that we only hear the opinions of the people who agree with us. And here at Christchurch, we don't have that. We have people who disagree with us and who are different to us and who love Jesus a whole lot. And it means we can't stick to our stereotypes of other people because we see them and we recognize that actually they have, a, they have something different in them. But they also have Jesus and they love Jesus a whole lot and they see a different side of Jesus to me and I need that. And so at Christchurch, we have an eclectic mix of charismatic and conservative and traditional and modern. And, and all these people love Jesus and we need to learn from each other. The alternative is that we close ourselves off, off from each other and we maybe brand those other people as heretics or they've not got it quite right. Um, and we wish they would leave or something. But we actually need, we, uh, the other option is to embrace that and learn from each other and choose to look to each other and ask, how can I see God like that person sees God? I may be the only one who's ever thought this, but I have occasionally struggled with the church being in the round like this. And I think it's actually a real advantage that because we have to look at across each other. We have to see other people who are completely different to us and yet love Jesus a whole lot. And we need to see that in each other and recognize that is a good thing. So that's not quite what the passage says. Uh, that's just what I was thinking about this. Um, so let's turn and look at the Bible. Um, if you've still got your Bible open, please do keep it there. We're going to just be basically working our way through this passage this evening. Um, I have a slight confession to make uh, in that I wrote this sermon yesterday. Uh, not because I'm disorganized, as with the rest of my life, but I actually had another sermon written. I had... Um, Another thing I wanted to, to say, there were, it was quite a good sermon. There were jokes about George in it. There was, um, there were, I, I had props. You remember when people brought props to, to sermons? Um, and we were going to look at spiritual formation and stuff. And then I was, um, Friday night, I was, uh, saw on a friend's Instagram story. Uh, they posted this interview between um, Anderson Cooper, who's a, a host at CNN, and Stephen Colbert, who's a comedian on late night TV in America. And it was a conversation uh, in this interview, and it had gotten onto their shared experience of losing their fathers when they were 10 years old. For Stephen, this was in a plane crash <clears throat> where, in one moment, he lost his dad and his brothers at 10 years old. And so it's just his mom and his, his other um, siblings growing up. And he spoke of how this grief, once he'd processed it, had allowed him to um, empathize with anyone he met, um, understanding that they too are probably suffering in their own way. And then he said this of his faith. He brought this into it. And he said, and in my tradition, that's the great gift of the sacrifice of Christ, is that God does it too. That you're really not alone. God does it too. And hearing that, I was a little shattered by that. Actually, hearing his story and then those words um, spoken between two grown men who were in tears on TV discussing this, 
it made me think, no, actually, given this passage that we've got, that we've just read, what we've just heard about Jesus, can we just spend 15, 20 minutes just talking about Jesus? So that's what I'm going to do tonight. I hope that's okay. I'm just going to tell you about Jesus. So as I say, keep that passage open. Um, as you'll know, uh, if you've been here over the last few weeks, uh, we've been looking at Philippians. This, you won't be able to see that properly, but um, this is just a map of, of the kind of area that the, the, um, the, the Bible talks about in the New Testament. Uh, right down in the bottom, sorry, not going to be left and right, bottom right is Jerusalem. Um, and what we're reading tonight, this, this letter um, was written to the church in Philippi, if you can see the little circle. Uh, and it's a part of the church uh, in, in uh, first century AD. And this comes after Jesus' death and resurrection. And a guy called Paul, uh, who wrote a lot, of, a lot of letters to the church, who planted a lot of these churches across the region, um, he's writing to them uh, in, from prison somewhere, we think. Uh, he's having a hard time, basically, but he's so thankful to Jesus. And the point of the, this letter is this, as we've heard over the last few weeks, it's just to talk about Jesus and how we can be more like him and what Jesus is like and how we can be more like him. And in the midst of it, as we come to chapter two, um, Richard Brandt, uh, our archdeacon last week, uh, said that this is one of the most important parts of scripture, so thank you to him for that. Um, I don't know why archdeacons, archdeacons get a bad rep. Um, but we get this beautiful prose. We get this wonderful section. Uh, it's potentially an old hymn from the early church, from the birth of the church. And Paul um, prefaces this hymn with the line that we see in verse 5. And I'm paraphrasing, but he basically says, we need to be more like Jesus to each other. And here's what Jesus was like. And then in verse 6, so we'll go through this verse by verse. It says, Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, he's God. We need to just start at that point. Jesus is God. He's very nature God. He's God fully, completely, infallibly. And that's where we're starting with. That's our starting point with Jesus. We can't glaze over it by jumping forward to the Christmas story or something like that. Jesus is God of the whole world, and that's where we start with him. Anything he does or says, we see through that filter that he is God of the whole world. He's greater than anything ever. And even if he was just simply that, just God, and he never did anything else for us, he would still be worthy of our unending praise. He's that good. He's that amazing. He's unique, he's set apart. He is completely different to what our preconceptions of him are. There's a quote, I may have used it in a sermon here before, sorry if I have. Um, it's from someone, there's no referencing tonight, sorry. Uh, it's, and it says, God made man in his image, and man being a gentleman did the same. And when we think of Jesus, holding your head the, the answer to these questions, as you think about Jesus and what he's like, um, firstly, which political party would he vote for? Don't shout that out. That's for yourself. Um, what does he care about the most? Where would he most want to go for dinner tonight? And as you answer those questions, um, hopefully you're starting to realize that, or I'd love you to realize at least, that whatever you answer to those questions is probably what you believe yourself. 
And so Jesus would vote for whoever you think is, is right for, to vote for or who he thinks is most important as what you think is most important. And we project ourselves onto our own mental map of Jesus, our own image of God. And this little sentence of five or six words changes that. Actually, his nature is God. He is nothing like we are imagining him. But the sentence isn't finished. And he says this, in being in very nature God, he did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. I kind of read that, and it's slightly poorly translated to me. Um, Sorry if that's offensive. Uh, I think we use the word advantage to mean, I often at least use it, to mean uh, maybe they've taken advantage of that person, or they have an advantage when really we mean they have an unfair advantage. Um, And that's not this. That's not what Paul is saying here. Paul means by this, he means something to be kept to himself, or something for only him to enjoy. He did not consider equality with God something to be kept to himself or for only him to enjoy. I know um, if I picture God kind of existing on his own without us, that to me feels a little bit lonely. Um, I know there's a trinity and there's three persons, but even if I had to spend eternity with the two most interesting people on the, on the planet, um, it would get dull, I think. But that's not what God is like. As I said, he is completely other to us. He is completely unique. He is completely special. Um, We need to put aside our preconceptions. We're in the presence of the Almighty. And rather he made himself nothing. Verse 7. The sentence still isn't finished. And at this point it takes quite a turn. Before the semicolon, um, there we talk about how Jesus is God and he is incredible and he has everything. He is at the top of everything. And then we read that Jesus gives up everything. Jesus, who is absolutely everything, gives up everything. And then he made himself nothing. He made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. Now, allow me to flex my GCSE English. I'm going to point out some some comparisons. Uh, We go from very nature God to very nature servant. Um, There you go, I learned something. Here's what God is saying. He is comparing that from the place that God came from to the place that he made himself. Paul says, he gave up everything, all he had to become the lowest the most helpless person. And in the culture this was written to, uh, back in first century Philippi, the culture was of a hierarchy and a class system, the likes of which we, we would never actually be able to get our heads around. It's not like we have here, at least in the UK. It's so much more disjointed. We might think it is a little bit or very disjointed in the UK, but it is so much worse at this point. If you're at the top of this system, you exert your power, your strength, your influence, your resources, everything over the people below you. You are more important than them because you have more stuff. You are the king or the Caesar, and you are more important and a more valued person. 
Everything you want comes to you. Struggling for an, an analogy here, but um, I think it's like being Mick Jagger. So this um, example from uh, the comedian John Mulaney, but can you imagine being Mick Jagger? Like he has spent, I don't know how, how many years has he been a rock star, like 50 years-ish? Somewhere around that day, vaguely nodding. Um, longer than Dave's been alive. He has been, yeah. Um, he's been treated like a, a god almost for 50 years, for decades. He's gone out on stage and he's had people cheering his name. He's had people paying hundreds of pounds to sit 300 meters away from him and see his tiny little body jumping up and down and his vocal cords decaying and <laughs> watching him strut around and... So when he's interacting with a normal person, he's not very good at it. And um, John Mulaney, this comedian, was, was telling a story. So he worked on a show called Saturday Night Live in America, and they're writing a skit together. And apparently they were sat on the, on the sofa together, and he just shouts, Diet Coke! That's my Mick Jagger voice. Uh, and a Diet Coke just appears from one of his assistants. And um, John would suggest something for this skit, and he go, No! Not funny! which is not how you talk to people. Um, and then he suggests something else, and, and Mick would go, yeah, funny! And that would go in the skit. Um, because he's a Mick Jagger, and he can act like that. Um, and that's what the Philippian culture celebrated. People like that. People who could get to the top and stay there. And if you were a normal person, you had to listen to these people. You had to, when they yelled Diet Coke, you had to bring them a Diet Coke. Um, you longed to be them. And you would exert your power on those below you, because that's what you had modeled to you. Um, and you would show the people below you that you were important by exerting your power on them. Uh, and this would go all the way down to the, until you got to the people who had no power over anyone else. The servants and slaves. And God in this, Paul is explaining, God chooses those people to be like being made in the very nature of a servant, someone who has nothing. God goes, yeah, that's the person I'll choose to be. But why? Surely as God, you'd slot yourself in at the top of the ladder if you wanted to show people what you were like. Or at least, okay, it says later on that he was humble, at least, you know, upper half. Um, but instead, he comes as a baby entirely reliant on two teenagers who have no idea what they're doing. They've never had an NCT class. They don't know how to raise a baby. Add, add to that, they're miles from home. They, I don't know if you've ever, ever traveled with a newborn baby. It's not fun. In a, even in a car seat, they're doing it on a donkey. Um, and even when they get home, they have to live in the north. It's horrible. Uh, sorry. Ish. No, I am sorry. Uh, <laughs> and if you read the story in Luke, there's, there's also, you add to this, there's a murderous king who wants to have the baby Jesus killed. And so you add to that that they had to become refugees and move um, their family to, through into Egypt to, to hide, um, to seek asylum there. So a baby born to teenage refugees, and that's the person God chooses to be. That's the struggle that Jesus chooses to be born into. So when we want our God to understand our suffering, we have to understand that he does. That God does it too. 
That's what Jesus chose. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. That little side note there, that gruesome side note of death on a cross. A death so painful that even the Romans outlawed it in 300 AD. They decided this is too much. This is not right to do to a human. It was reserved for the worst criminals, and as such, it was the most shameful way to die. And so Jesus is um, strung up there on a cross. And if Jesus had deserved to die that way, um, which at the time people probably presumed that he did, we know that he didn't. We know he was perfect and blameless. But people presume that he did. Um, It would mean that he was thought of as the absolute worst person that they could possibly think of. And these people who were thinking this weren't all strangers. Some of these were people he'd grown up with, people he knew, his, um, his friends, would have believed that about him, that he had done something to be labeled as the worst person. And so God from baby to be seen, uh, from God to baby to being seen as the most disgusting person. When it says God humbled himself, that's something of an understatement here. He took himself from having everything to having nothing. And in Jesus, he became less and less, without a single care for himself. Now, the Bible makes it really clear that that as he's arrested, that he could have set himself free from that, but he chose this path for himself. He chose to go through it willingly, and that lets you know that he thought this was worth it, that he thought reconciling us to him was worth it. And therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. And in that exaltation, as Jesus is raised from the dead, we too are raised from the dead, from owing everything to having everything given to us in Jesus. And in verse 10, here's where we come in. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. And again, I want to slightly change that translation. Every knee gets to bow. We get to join in with this. Every knee gets to bow on heaven and in heaven and on earth and under the earth, basically everyone. Um, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And the key word that starts this section is that. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. As a consequence of what came before it, we are allowed to do this. As a consequence of what came before, we are allowed to be part of God's family that he welcomes us into. Without Jesus dying on the cross, none of this would be possible. Without Jesus getting rid of everything that's between us and him, we'd be lost without a hope. But with him, we get to be part of this glorious family, this unimaginable, perfect, sacrificial, joy-filled family. And in this prose that Paul uh, leaves for us, in this part of Philippians, what have we done in this? Apart from recognize that Jesus is God. We've done nothing. It's all Jesus. It's only ever Jesus. And as we come back to, uh, to finish this, um, Let's loop back to that first sentence. Um, 
in your relationships with each other, have the same mindset as Jesus. We change and we become better people, not by trying, not by working our hardest, not by doing a 30-day program or anything like that, but by spending time with Jesus, by looking to this example that we've looked at tonight of what Jesus is like. We spend time with Jesus, and the way that we do that, um, as Acts make, the book of Acts makes it clear to us, uh, is through the Holy Spirit. We encounter Jesus through the Holy Spirit, which is another facet of the, the Trinity, the three persons of God, um, and through his word, through the scriptures that have been left to us. And as I say that, we know that in theory, a lot of us, but is that always easy? No, not for me at least. Um, but it works. Um, I was reading uh, this week that apparently in Alcoholics Anonymous, um, as they finish the meeting, they say, keep coming back, it works. That's the thing with this Bible. Keep coming back, it works. Keep coming back to Jesus. It makes us more like him. And um, as I was writing this, I was slightly hesitant to change the pace a little bit here, um, but I want to go super practical, actually, and just look at how practically we can do that in our day-to-day lives, how daily and weekly and across our whole lives we can become just a little bit more like Jesus and make it a practice that we do throughout our whole lives. And I offer this um, as kind of something I've been thinking about um, as a tool to slightly diagnose um, why we might not be feeling God's presence or why we might not be coming uh, and connecting with him when we, when we choose to meet with God. Um, as I said, the way that we connect with God post-Jesus is through the Holy Spirit. Uh, Whether you believe that's through aiding us in interpreting scripture or through spiritual gifts, uh, we can debate on the method, but it's all the same. It's through the Holy Spirit. And the most common metaphor for the Holy Spirit, which is used over a hundred times in the Bible, is fire. In fact, fire is always a precursor to God moving in the Bible. Uh, when, When fire comes, then we see God moving. Uh, whether that's the burning bush and then God moves and liberates his people, whether that's the tongues of fire at Pentecost and then God sends his Holy Spirit to his people. The fire comes and then God moves. Do you remember this diagram from school? Um, I don't know, some of you might do. Um, this, I guess we learned this in chemistry. I don't know why this kind of thing sticks with me and not important things, but it did. Um, fire will thrive if it has these three elements. Oxygen, fuel, and heat. You remove any one of those, um, remove the heat, and the fire dies out. For us to encounter the Holy Spirit, the holy fire, we need these three elements. We need time. We need to leave space. We need energy. We need that fuel in us. We need a desire for God. We need space. We need time. We need room to breathe when we're meeting with God. If we're coming to God in a hurry, then all that says to both God and us is that our attention is elsewhere, that we are squeezing this in, that our mind and priorities are elsewhere, and that's not a way to do relationships. Our energy, it's no good coming completely shattered. 
The Bible makes it clear when we're giving gifts to God, we're to give the first of what we have for when we actually have energy. I don't know if you've come uh, this evening absolutely shattered from a week at work or a busy weekend, whatever you've been up to. Um, And there will be times when we're tired and we pray and we ask for God to meet us in that. But practically, what we can do is make sure we actually have energy when we're coming to God. And if you can't imagine your life in a way that you would actually have energy on a Sunday evening, um, then I think we need to rethink our lives a little bit. It's not a healthy way to be living. I speak for myself in that as well. Finally, we need heat. We need desire. We need enthusiasm for God. And again, I recognize that we don't always have that passion or a desire to meet with God, but we need to be eager for him to move in our lives. And passion can look like different things. I know I'm not someone who exactly shows facial expressions. Um, I don't often show what I'm passionate about. Um, I came downstairs uh, uh, yesterday afternoon and and was like, you okay, you look really upset. I was like, no, I'm not. Wales have just gone top in the world in the rugby rankings. I was happy, I just couldn't show it. Um, Just wanted to flex that as well in front of you guys. Um, Come here on beef. But you know that one person at a party or in a room or in a meeting who doesn't want to be there. Don't be that person in your relationship with God. So we need time, we need energy, and we need desire for God. You take one of those away, and we're left with all the energy and enthusiasm for God, but no time to actually encounter him. Or all the time and and desire, but we've got no energy to actually be there and be present with God. Or all the time and energy, but just an apathy and no desire to be with God. And so if you're struggling to encounter Jesus, if you're struggling to make your life more like this Jesus who we've spoken about tonight, and you long to be more like him, maybe it's one of these things that actually God is calling you to work on, or to make space for, or to make sure you have energy for, or think about, actually, why do I desire God? Why do I want to be more like him? With the band light to come up, um, we're going to respond now um, in prayer. Would you like to stand where you are as well, if that's okay, um, if you're able to? And I wonder, as George asked us to earlier, um, if you'd like to pop up your hands in front of you, if you really want to encounter this Jesus who we've spoken about. As we respond tonight, um, there's going to be a group of us who wait just over here, um, sorry, at the front, your, your right, front right of the uh, church, um, just because there's a bit of space over there, and we'd love to pray for people. Um, but as we respond, maybe think about these questions. Are you coming here tonight not knowing this Jesus? Do you need to know this Jesus? Do you want to know him? Because he wants to know you, and we'd love to pray with you if you're in that position. If you think there might be something real there, that you'd like to meet with Jesus? Or do you want to be more like Jesus? Is there one of these three elements um, that you need in your life? One of these three things that, or more, maybe it's all of them, that you need uh, to help you encounter Jesus. So God, I thank you that you're with us tonight. Thank you, Jesus, that you are not Uh, something from the past and something out of history, but you are here and present with us tonight in the Holy Spirit.
I just pray that you would move right now. That you would open us up to what you want to do. Um, that you would speak to us. Lord, give us words of encouragement over each other and um, show us, those of us who are longing to even know that you exist. God, I pray that you would reveal, reveal yourself to us right now. Amen.